Welcome, everybody, to The Ground Beneath Grace. I'm Jonathan Thomas. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm Joey Walter. And hello I'm, to um, Joey's mom. Today, the shout-out goes to Joey's mom. We're so glad that she listens, that she's a part of this uh, conversation that we have most every week at The Ground Beneath Grace. And we are, Joey, I think, says things that he rants about or things that bother him not true these are the things that i think about also or we wouldn't be talking about them it's just sometimes one of us may or may not be more opinionated than the other <laughs> okay joey's just yeah keeping slight, about, silent we want to we talk about politics gun control and uh, abortion we, we can go ahead well i thought yeah. i thought we'd talk about the death penalty so <laughs> i know death penalty that's that was number four. that's going to be on the list we're going to have that one and i am ready to go, go ahead and, let me go ahead and update this google doc yeah you can <laughs> update that one uh which is really great because i do listen to these podcasts also as well as your mom and i've got something from joey that i'm going to use as an audio clip when we get to that conversation i was so glad i actually when you were talking i was like oh i know what i'm gonna do with that voice clip i'm saving that oh, one and so now you're gonna have to go back and try to figure out which one it was and what you said. No, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to tell me before that. We'll have to talk <laughs> off air. <laughs> yes, we will be now like worried. Now two worried debaters, two debaters going back and forth with uh, <laughs> our stuff. So, but I, I guess another thing for everybody joining, we we we've had the conversation of agreeing to disagree. I think Joey and I though would agree that conversation needs to happen. And most of the time when things like this come about, somewhere at the end of it, there's grace. Joey, you've, you've said this is your favorite word. Um, I think we're all, we, we grow more in understanding what some of these things truly are in our life. And that's a little bit what this podcast is about. And Joey's shaking his head, so. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody everybody loves dead air. <laughs> You know, like for me, no, I thought you were going to say something else. Sorry. Um, agree to disagree about dead air and the benefits. Um, so, yeah, for me, like this topic that we're going to talk about tonight is, you know, when we first started doing this, it was more like, you know, scriptures that were interesting or confusing or just strange or kind of all of the above. And that's kind of what we started talking about and picking through those. And so for me, this is kind of going back to that, at least for this topic. Um, it's kind of all of the above with, I've got several scriptures and I know you probably have some as well if ours don't overlap, but yeah, I just, some of these scriptures, it's like, really, is that really what? Yeah. So again, it's like talking about, you know, whether it's confusing or whatever, but a lot of times it's. I feel that it's really misinterpreted. So that's kind of where I'm going tonight. Anyway. That's true. And so we really do have to look at the context of the scriptures. Everyone is going to have an opinion. I think what we're going to be doing, someone's going to say that's your opinion. But overall, there, I think, in spite of opinion, there is something I think God is calling us to. It's to love him and to love people. And so tonight, we are going to jump into the conversation of women. And you've got your notes open, Joey. How did we phrase that we were going to say uh, the topic of this? And then we're not just jumping into, <laughs> I guess that could sound wrong. Well, it changes the outcome of this podcast if we leave it with just that. We <laughs> are talking about women tonight in reference yeah, to skip scripture. Yeah, specifically developing and supporting strong women in the church and not just, you know, our, obviously our backgrounds are church of Christ, but I think this doesn't necessarily, I mean, it's going to be, it's a, it's definitely a hot button topic. If that's a phrase, um, I guess in the church of Christ, but, uh, I think just church in general. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I was thinking is that we would, we would talk about those. And I've got like, like I said, six different scriptures. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, even in the New Testament, 
you know, talking about, you know, authors of the Bible and what their views were like, uh, especially on women. And I know the times were different back then. And so that's, that's kind of where I was wanting to go with it. So talking about the differences between men and women, I think we, we would definitely miss the point if we were to say that this was an ancient, you know, only in the Bible thing where men and women were treated differently or women rather less than men that did happen. It was a culture. I think it still happens today. I've heard stories obviously, but it also happens in our culture here in America. When you have female athletes, I was watching March Madness and there's been a lot of pushback saying, well, we don't give women colleges and basketball the money and support because they don't bring in the viewership. And what's really frustrating about that, I don't know if you saw online, I mean, the women collegiate basketball, they Mm -hmm. went into their gym, right? One set of weights. The men have all of this extra, you know, above and beyond. It's ridiculous, the money that's spent on the men athletes. And then it's uh, Dick Sporting Good comes in and donates an entire room and how thrilled they were. And and then to have uh, the... Uh, leaders of whoever runs that to say, well, they just don't bring in the viewership. Okay, well, when you don't allow them to use March Madness and their information, when you put them on a Monday morning in the a.m., uh, who's going to be watching that? We all go to work. You're putting the guys Friday night, Saturday night, you know, weekend showings. So um, uh, LeBron James, championship basketball player, mm-hmm. uh, his bonus um, for that. And I was just, I was reading, um, a little bit about, uh, the story. Oh my goodness. I've forgotten her name. Uh, her, her partner is, uh, Megan Rapino, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, but she plays basketball also has, I hate that her name has just slipped my mind. Um, her yearly income playing as a professional sport, basketball, female athlete is less than the bonus LeBron James made uh, after winning his championship. Right. And people are saying, well, you know, it just doesn't bring it in. Well, you know, you're, you stop. That's ridiculous. So to say that there's an, uh, it it is not equal uh, back then that we are better today. We have a long ways to go. Oh no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't saying that at all. No, I got it. So I just want to say, when we look at these Bible verses, which I think is going to be really important because we're going to be getting into kind of a culture thing that's happening, especially with denominations, ours and my background being Church of Christ. I'm certain there are those who, if they are uh, Church of Christ folks, and then, you know, they listen to this podcast, or maybe they look up Pacific Crest Church, they're going to go, well, you're not a Church of Christ, (laughs) Uh, because you don't do the things the way that we do it. But I'm doing exactly what I was taught by many faithful men and women growing up in the churches of Christ. And that was to love God and to love mm-hmm. people. It was to pursue passionately the story of Jesus and his grace, his mercy, and to understand that my name is written in the book of life. And so tonight we're going to, I think, talk about this story of women in scripture and how not only one denomination versus the other, trust me, I mean, we, we still have the Catholic church. There are no lady priests, right? Okay. So there's, there's still something going on. And also in um, evangelical Christian churches, there is still lack of recognition for uh, incredible gifted women. And so how do we do that when we have a group of people who are significantly taking scriptures out of context and using that against women to keep them down, to keep them out of leadership um, what do we do with this? And it's, it comes simply from just, uh, uh, misquoted or misunderstood scriptures. And I know you've got them. I'm going to sort of back off Joey, cause I know you have a lot to say with it, but I just want to go into, you had, uh, first Corinthians chapter 14, uh, 34 through, um, 35. And <clears throat> what that, uh, scripture says Um, And I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version. And so what that scripture says in verse 33 is, 
Mm, I'm sorry, 34 is where you have it starting. In 34, it says the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Okay, now, that is verse 33. Um, what's really interesting is that the NIV also uh, renders this in the same way. First off, there are periods, commas, there are even exclamation points in Scripture. Right here, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, in the ancient languages, they did not have periods, they did not have commas. This is our modern-day grammatical structure that helps us work and navigate through things. But, but listen to this, because prior to the NIV being translated in the mid-70s, and if you think about what was happening in the mid-70s, right, there were women burning bras. The NOW organization was really standing up for women's rights, pressing into a strongly male-populated business world and in so many places and culture. So there was a threat there. And before the 70s, before the NIV was written, this is how this was rendered. Um, and I'm going to back up a little bit to verse 31 uh, and read further down. It says, For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, comma, as in all the churches of the saints, period. The women should keep silent, starts the next sentence. Mm -hmm. Now, moving the comma or replacing the period with the comma changes that whole thing. Basically, one says, God's not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, as in all the churches of the saints, correct? But you move that period out of there and you put a comma in and then you say, as in all the churches of the saints, all of them, women should keep silent in the churches. Mm -hmm. totally changes the whole structure of what that's trying to say. And prior to the 70s, and you go back and you take a look at many of the renderings of, of uh, biblical, even the Greek, it was never written that way. And I'll go into further of what I believe is happening when we get into this, but it still says women should keep silent in the churches where they're not permitted to speak as they should be in submission to the law also says, okay, I'll, I'll go into that later, but this is what's happened over and over to oppress women in churches, in Christianity. And I'm, I'm going to fight for it. And I think you will too. Absolutely. This is a misuse and abuse of scripture and God has given incredible a power and authority to his church, both women and men. Yeah. You know, um, the, the funny thing about this passage and one of the reasons why I picked it, um, especially with church of Christ, you know, but, um, this is, is kind of interesting, but before, and sorry, my eyes are not good before verse 26 on, um, the app that I'm reading from, it says good order in worship. And then it lists all of these things. It talks about speaking in tongues. Um, and then it's talking about the prophecy and, then, and what you read. And then that women should remain silent in churches. So have a couple of issues here. First of all, you know, I've been to a lot of different churches. And I've talked about in the past about visiting um, different denominations, different churches. Um, really have been... I don't know. I mean, especially when we lived in central Arkansas, I mean, golly, I mean, we visited at least a dozen churches or more before we picked one to place membership. Um, and I've never, I mean, I've never been to a church where the women are silent. Okay. Uh, I understand there's, you know, different variations, whether or not they're leading or they're, or they're praying or, or whatever, but you know, generally with the church of Christ, you've got now the bigger churches now, um, they have a minister, they'll have an associate minister, um, whatever, you know, um, 
church um, or like a youth minister. Then they'll have all of these different, but a, a woman can be a children's minister, but generally not a youth minister. Okay. So, so anyway, long story short for me with this, the problem that I have is that women, you know, being, or supposedly supposed to be um, silent in church. Okay. To me is, is that to hush them? Is that to, so they won't share their opinions or is it because um, men can't control themselves? We can go get into that whole thing. Um, oh, we will. Well, I'm sure because <laughs> I've, I've got a lot. Um, but to me, it's, it's, it's almost like, and I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it's almost like a conspiracy to keep women from having that relationship with Jesus. And so what, like I said, this is good order in worship. Okay. So what do you do where the, the women are supposed to remain silent? What do you do inside the church? You're supposed to be worshiping. So I know that we are, you know, quiet church of Christ people, but I mean, so a woman can't say amen. I can't say, Hey, good to have you. Uh, you know, um, thanks for coming anything. So it can't, so that would almost mean that woman obviously can't, um, participate in worship service, but to me, it's really, they're saying that you can't worship. That's, that's really where I have, um, the big issue. Um, and then like in verse 35, it says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, not in the church, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. And who was this uh, book written by? The one disciple who did not get married. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's to me, it's almost like, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing with, you know, personal views and not God's views in, in the, in the scriptures. But to me, it's just so taken out of context that it does kind of make you think that why was this put in the Bible? Um, Cause you know, like you said, the Catholic church, I mean, they're anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but um, anyway, <laughs> to me, it's just, it is almost like a conspiracy to where the way women were viewed at that time, this was a way to keep them uh, from having that relationship to me, having the relationship with Jesus, I mean, is worship and whatever you call that and prayer. I mean, to me, those are two of the most important things. So if a woman can't speak in church, then obviously she can't, she can't lead a prayer, but can she pray in church? So, um, and I, I know we're going to get into, we've talked about, you know, how Jesus felt about women and how he treated women since he was the new covenant. And anyway, we'll talk about that later, but those are, those are some of the things that are just frustrating for me. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for our listeners too, I just want to go in, not, not every uh, Christian denomination has had this, but this has been a wrestle with some. And again, I'm not going to say that we are exclusive on that in my background, uh, in my tribe that we're a part of, but, but you're right, Joey. So there's a lot more happening in this uh, text I want to go into because can a woman pray or not? I mean, in 1 Corinthians 11, just a few chapters earlier, he's telling how women ought to pray. Um, okay. So if they can't talk um, and he's saying, listen, judge for yourself, if it's proper for a wife to pray to God with her head covered, he's talking about covered, uncovering. There's another cultural context thing going on, but here he's just telling about how they should pray. And then he's then saying, no, they can't um, just a few chapters later. Right. It's very interesting. There's, I think a lot more that's going on here and without context, um, we look at this and we withdraw and just go, well, that's what the Bible says. So that's what it says. And, and we come up and I don't think our church is the only one in you know, my background, but I've heard this. They say, don't, speak where the Bible speaks and you be, or speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent, which is nowhere in scripture, which is 
even saying that. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Have you never heard that before? I've heard it in a few other churches. I've heard it in ours. And it's this some way protecting the word. So don't add anything in it because, you know, anyone who adds to this, okay, doom. And that is even out of context, I think, where it is initially referenced. What's happening here, obviously, you have a mixed culture of people. You've got some Gentiles, you've got some Jewish people. Very obviously, there are Jewish people in the Corinth church that are going along. Now, remember, these guys had a list of rules that they were living off of for some time. It really didn't strike me, you know, one, when I realized what was going on in our culture when we wanted to shut women up, literally in the 70s. This was reckless. This was uh, I think men thought it was a personal attack, uh, right? Rightfully so, it probably was and needed to be. Okay, finally, after all of these years, and when push comes to shove, it was certain scholars who thought, let's, you know, when the church seemed to be a bit thriving, a little better than it was today, let's get some authority in here and let's say, women, shut up. That's basically what they're trying to get out of this and which is a total misuse of it. Now, if we look at the context of putting the right punctuation in the right place, and we say that God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order, as in all the churches of the saint, true, period. Then Paul jumps in, because he's, he's talking to them, right, about certain structures, prayer and prophecy and tongues. There's certain things that are going along. Some of these things are new to these people. Some of them are old. They're Jewish people. They've got a good sense of the Torah and law. So then Paul moves into this godly order, but he brings up, right, this very obscured uh, statement about women remaining silent. So then he says, let's kind of just read it. This is in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14. 34, I'm just going to go ahead and read down quite a ways. Um, 34, the woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Verse 36, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones who it has reached? Now, I want to stop right there. Okay. Very interestingly, what I read in just the start about women being silent and not being permitted to teach, the Talmud, which would have been, uh, it, it wasn't the, um, it wasn't the Torah, but it was a collective writing of Jewish laws and uh, ways to behave and worship. And the Talmud uh, often reference that a woman's voice is prohibited because it is sexually provocative. Okay. So Jewish people would have known the Talmud and there's a lot of heavy restriction upon women. There's even a prayer that says, thank you, God, for not making me a woman, you know, that the men would pray. Um, now Judaism claim, you know, they would, they would say, no, we have a place for women in our traditions and certain things like that. But on the scene, we have this evidence that Judaism believed that women must be silent. If you look at this same text and read Eugene Peterson's The Message uh, in here, here's what Eugene Peterson says. And, and I just, I love how... Um, I think how he words it here. Let me see if I can find it really quick. So wives must not disrupt worship, taking by uh, take taking when they should be listening, asking questions that should be more appropriately asked of her husband at home. God's book of the law guides our manners and our customs here. Wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Um, so this is very interesting, I guess. I read a different, this has been edited here because in, a, in, in one of the articles that I read about Eugene Peterson, he put in the word there, what? <laughs> do you think that the secret oracles determining what's right and wrong, do you think that everything revolves around you? The way I want to read this, and 
maybe people could push back on this, but I'm going back to the English Standard Version, which also um, drops it like the NIV. But here Paul says that this should be pro uh, prohibited, women speaking, as the law says. What law? That should be the first sign to anybody that Paul is not a person who preached the law. So he's referencing something here. These rule books, the Talmud, that was around when these guys were having church, they knew what was going on. He's referencing something there. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Very Jewish in that culture in that time. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Very Jewish as that the Talmud said, right? Women are prohibited because their, their voices are sexually provocative. And then in verse 36, I'm just going to like take a pause. Like this is what he was quoting. Paul was quoting the Talmud. And then he jumps back into his statement, <clears throat> excuse me, his statement in 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? He's asking these people, are you the only ones it's reached? Like, for some reason, we just sort of think like Paul can't quote other things that are happening in their culture at that time. I think that this is a quote from the Talmud. It is not his instruction. He's talking about a problem of abuse that was happening for women in the culture at that time. And he's like, was it from you the word of God came? This Talmud, these rules, these things, they're made up. Are you the only ones, men, who are worthy that it was reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. I think this is a rebuke right here. Yeah. And for too long and too many centuries, this has been just molested of the scripture here to abuse and oppress women. I heard one guy one time say, if a woman got up there, I would run up there and I would carry her off the stage. And I'm like, if I saw you do that, I would break your legs. <laughs> Sorry, that's like, I'm like, now you're getting you said, heated here. I, Mr. I would. Mr. Nonviolent Jonathan. Mr. Nonviolent, I would, yeah, you would want to see me go off chain. But if he killed her, you wouldn't want the death penalty. Um... <laughs> no, I, I would not. And we'll talk about that later. Can you bring that up? Teaser. But I mean, so can you see here, if we just were uh, taking a look at the culture, taking a look at the, mm -hmm. the, the, um, what is happening specifically, I would say this, Paul is quoting from the Talmud. They have a problem in Corinth. Obviously this whole letter is trying to address that. And he's right. challenging them saying, this did not come from God. So right. knock it off. No, I think that's a really interesting point. And I, I agree with you. And to further your point, finishing off um, the chapter here, what does he say in verse 39? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So he repeated at the beginning of the church or the chapter about where he's talking about in tongues and they can prophesy by using those tongues. But what he doesn't say is don't keep or don't keep women quiet or keep women quiet. He doesn't say that. So right. what I think what I think that kind of uh, more justifies your point that he is taking this from context of the Talmud. And so the last verse is he's closing out saying, okay, just so you know, just to recap, you may be tested on this later. You know, my brothers and sisters be eager to prophesy. Don't forget speaking in tongues. He says nothing about keeping women silent in church. Yeah. And so we're going to have some folks who are reading King James, my mom. She's great. I think she's read that the whole time. And you're going to see where, oh, these modern versions are adding my brothers and my sisters, and they're trying to be, you know, sure. inclusive of the everything. Absolutely. It was inclusive. Sure. Okay. Just because they were saying brothers doesn't mean they were not including the whole church. Okay. Right. It's like saying men, but you're referring to mankind. Exactly. And so we don't want to really get lost in that. I know a ton of folks do, but again, we can step back even further and then say, really, is that truly what was happening? You know, and again, if women were not a threat to 
this whole Jesus movement, not a threat to the Jesus movement, but because of the Jesus movement, women were also a threat. Paul would not have arrested both the men and the women. And, you know, again, women were active, you know, Christian followers, people of the way, and they were getting in trouble for it. Absolutely. They were a threat to, to the, to the old ways and even to Rome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, it's the sign of the times and or, or the sign of the times back then in terms of, you know, what was in, what was out, but, um, but also, you know, you, you touched on this as well about how verses can be misinterpreted, you know, um, there's, you know, an eye for an eye. And then Jesus said to turn the other cheek. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things um, that, you know, there's, there's different versions of, of, of stances. And so I think that's, that's part of it as well. Um, there's one too. Uh, the next verse I wanted to talk to or talk about was first uh, Timothy uh, chapter two, verse eight through 15. Uh, it starts in verse eight. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds. We've talked about deeds before. Uh, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and not became a sinner. But women uh, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Do you want to start or do you want to start? You want, you know, I want to hear what you have to say first. I, of um, course, have a thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I just think it's, uh, I don't know. Um you know, with addressing modestly uh, and decency, I, it's not talking about men. What about men? That's you know, I worked, in, <laughs> I worked at a place where you remember those Daisy Duke shorts, like back in the nineties. You know, the yeah, I, shorts. I'm still trying to forget. <laughs> okay, so I worked with a guy that he wore. We called them Daisy Dukes, but they were those like those coaches' shorts. You know, like back in the seventies. The coaches wore the bike. Uh, the The brand was bike uh, shorts that are they're made out of like polyester, and they're you don't remember the look of the football coaches with the short yeah. shorts and the high tube socks. Yeah, I do remember. Okay. Again, so, I'm trying to get that burned image out of my head. So, well, I'm bringing it back. So he uh, so he wore those like all the time. He wasn't a coach. We were working in a telecommunications company. And they had to make a dress policy for everyone. And it was <laughs> like no short shorts. And it was him. <laughs> anyway, so you just don't see, yeah, you don't see rules about guys and how they dress. Uh, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. What does that mean? I have no idea what that means. But with good deeds, so women are supposed to do good deeds that are appropriate for them of those that profess to worship God. That's completely foreign to me. And then uh, again, verse 11, woman should learn in quietness and full submission. He does not permit a woman to teach uh, or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I have to collect my thoughts. I think you need to go ahead and talk. <laughs> so you're still thinking about that guy in his shorts. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's messing you up uh, too. Uh, yeah. Okay. Once again, context, context. That so much is happening here. Number one, remember who traveled all that time with Paul long ago in the very beginning. There was Barnabas, John Mark, 
Timothy was one of those persons that worked and traveled closely with Paul. Now Timothy is not with Paul. He's in his own community. And, and so we are getting Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy has written Paul, obviously. And again, like what Paul hears from the church of Corinth or Laodicea or any of these other places and such, he's hearing what's happening in regions in certain places. So he goes, okay, I got to write to these guys. And this is their local context. Timothy had some problems that were going along. One of them was the excessive worship to the goddess of fertility in his community. What was going on was there was a lot of these prophetess uh, idol worshipers of fertility, and they were going around saying that in order to relieve the sin or the broken separation of yourself, you must have sexual intercourse with men uh, and these men with the women here, because we are the ones who create life. See, we have more power and more authority over you. And so we are the stronger ones. And so we're teaching you that to, um, to be done in a way with sin and in our goddess worship of fertility, this is how you do it. There was a huge problem going on in the community of what Timothy's doing. It was infiltrating the church. And so Paul, all of a sudden, uh, he's like, yeah, I have something to say about that. It is not appropriate to have a woman over the authority of man if that's what they're going to be doing. To think of this as being church-wide, as in all the churches of the saints, then, like, people will look at Corinthians and they'll like, see, Paul said it there, so he's saying it right here. Timothy was with Paul at all those other churches. Why would why on this most basic, if it is in all the churches of the saints, why in the world is Paul having to tell Timothy this? To me, that's a question that is hard to answer because this seems the most duh of starting a church. Timothy has a church. He's working with it. There are brand new leaders coming about. Paul's talking about elders. He's talking about deacons being appointed. But in the context, in the town, and the community, there's a lot of idol worship that's going on. Paul, I believe, is addressing Timothy's concerns when he is looking at something's very dark. That's why he's like, hey, the women, they shouldn't dress like these prophetess to this fertility God, because that's what they're doing. They're not going to be getting confused with these other local context things and be considered uh, priestess um, I got to be careful of words that are uh, uh, women of the night, you know, I was going to use a different word. They shouldn't be that way. They shouldn't adorn themselves with those things because those women rightfully so are, are abusing the men and they're making it really tough for the women and your women in your church now are, are hearing those teachings about maybe we're more important yeah, we're the ones who recreate life. What do you men do? 15 seconds of glory? We're nine months committed to this thing, you know, and we, you know, talk about the strength of men uh, and women. Women are much stronger. If, if, uh, <laughs> if a man had to have a baby, the world would be over. There would, no, there would be no more life. I'm certain of it. Paul is addressing something here and very contextual to a problem that Timothy had, which is unlike any other church and location that he's been a part of. So again, my observation is this is not a universal teaching to the church. This is a local context. And I'm most certain that if men were doing this oppression and lording themselves over it, uh, the message would have been flipped. And this would have been, I do not allow men to teach and have authority. And, and here's the interesting thing too, is that I have seen men manipulate the authority. And I think if Paul were alive, he would look at those churches and he would say that. So let's kind of be clear also when we're looking at this very exclusive Timothy 
young guy. He needs encouragement. It looks like a dump where he lives. He's probably ready to quit. Um, and these are the words of, you know, to admonish what he's doing, to give him a little bit of help in his local context. That's kind of where I stand with this. If somebody wanted more information about it, you know, Adam was created first. Yeah. Well, look, look, look what he did. Nothing. Right. The one thing he should have done was stand up to uh, his, for his bride Eve mm -hmm. against an enemy. Right. I'm pretty convinced too, that if he had stood up, even if Eve took the, you know, broke into that place, if, if Adam would have through grace been the savior of that mm -hmm. to rescue her out of there, it would have been, you know, probably not as the result it was, but instead he cowers out. Right. Um, so I don't want to get lost in that. I just want to say um, there's more going on here than just saying that women should not teach men. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you that I believe that men specifically have taken this out of context. And it's not only for me, it's not only like what Paul would think of how it's been misinterpreted, but how, and we'll get into this, I know, but how Jesus would feel about this in that, you know, we'll get into some Bible verses of, of how he looked at women and how even when he was rebuked by the disciples of how women were treating him. And, you know, we've talked about the woman in the well, but, but Mary Magdalene and that relationship, you know, how he, I mean, he obviously, he obviously cared for everyone, obviously, but I mean, he really loved her and I don't think that they were married or anything like that, but I mean, he loved her and allowed her to worship, you know, with, with them and the things that she did for him as worship, you know, I think, um, like I said, we'll get into, but, uh, especially talking, you know, when, uh, when he's crucified and how, you know, the disciples, the 12 anyway, whether or not she was 13, I'm not getting into that, but, um, how they scattered, you know, and I understand that they were fearful for their lives and everything, but she stood there and she stayed and his mom stayed. And then of course, when, you know, when he comes back and he reappears, who does he reappear to first women, he reappears to them. I think that is so significant in, in how he felt for them. I mean, you know, you can understand, okay, he, he reappeared to his mom, but it wasn't just his mom. It was Mary Magdalene and him as and her as well. So, uh, and I know there's some verses, there's some, uh, where I've seen that's, uh, there may be a third part, third woman there as well. And I don't, we can get into that later when we start reading those verses. But um, to me, that's just so significant of how he, uh, he cared for them and, um, and just the act of, of reappearing when, you know, you figure, um, you know, the disciples are fearful for their life, you know, here, Mary, uh, Mary has seen her son killed, murdered, um, Mary Magdalene, you know, seen the same thing and they think it's over that that's it. And then he reappears. Okay. He's been resurrected. That's a huge thing. And then who he reappears to, I think is very significant as well. Yeah. And again, this is where I think Jesus does something that is absolutely counterculture in his time. Truthfully, I don't know how we got to where we are. If we are in a Judeo-Christian society, or mostly that America says that they are Christian and they have women so oppressed even currently today, when Jesus was counterculture by um, empowering women and to look at the Gospels. If there was one thing that you did not want to do in ancient times, and especially in the Middle East, which still has strong oppression towards women, if you wanted a testimony, you wouldn't have made the testimony of your greatest point based off of the testimony of women, of which the resurrection of Jesus, if it is not true, we are the pity to most all men. That's what Paul is saying. If this is garbage, you know, we're in deep trouble. And the one thing that Christianity hangs on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. from the cross, right? The first witnesses are women. Yeah. That does not help 
a first century cause of getting people <laughs> to believe you. Exactly. At all. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, if I've uh, also searched the scriptures too, um, we all know Matthew 16, 16, Jesus is like, hey, who do you say that I am? You know, because a lot of people were saying, some say that you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets, but mm -hmm. Jesus specifically, who do you say that I am? And Peter opens up his mouth and he's like, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God and makes this great confession. And there's this, you, you know, you're going to be Petra, you're going to be the rock, you're going to be Peter now. And so I'm going to build my church right on this rock. And, and so Peter gets now forever all of the heaven jokes, right? That he's at the gates, Peter, St. Peter's at the gates, right? So he's there. Um, we have another testimony where another man says, surely this was a son of God. And that is the Roman soldier at the crucifixion right. after witnessing everything. Right. There's one other place where there's a confession that Jesus is the Christ. And you know who that is? When the rock was rolled away, sir. Yeah. So when Jesus is at Lazarus' tomb and he pulls this back just before that time period, right? That, that's what this was. At Lazarus' death, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to raise Lazarus. I'm going to pull this rock back. He's going to be emptied out of this, this tomb himself here, you know, very foreshadowing. And, mm -hmm. and Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. And, and Martha, who's the one who runs to Jesus, she's like, I know you are. You're the son of God. You are the Christ. In scripture, there are three sort of statements that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And one of those is a woman. That is so important yep. in the story. There is, again, ample evidence, even in the early Christian church. Um, we've talked about it before with uh, Pliny the Younger writing about these deaconess women that he tortures who are doing all these incredible things in the name of Jesus. Uh, deaconess, um, you know, that might sound familiar. The word deacon mean is a Greek word, diakonos, and that means basically, literally servant uh, person. So these, these women were serving, they were deacons. And how many deacons do we have, uh, deaconesses do we have in our modern day churches? In, in many denominations, they are not there. There are some and others, but uh, it is very, very first century, early on, women were known as deacons in the church. By the outside world, it was obvious. Um, if it wasn't, they would have just said, hey, we just have these crazy Christian ladies. I don't know what they're doing. Paul recognizes them as a threat. The early uh, Roman government realized that women were uh, Christian women were a threat in their words um, because it was bringing about transformation of life. So, um, yeah, I got off on a tangent there, but how important it is uh, to recognize that what Jesus did was absolutely monumental and offensive in the first century. Yeah, exactly. And there is one more verse that i would like to read this week i know we're probably getting close to time but no we said this would be a two-parter if i have to like boom drop a drop <laughs> a music ending in there and say let's pick it up next week we'll do it but i think uh i think it's maybe more than a two-parter um this is uh ephesians 5 21 through 33 and the beginning of the verse right before verse 21 is instruction for christian households Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her uh, to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself. I really, really butchered this verse. I'm going to go again. Uh, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave him himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, 
but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, go ahead. I (laughs) can't wait to hear it. Unpack it again, right. Um, I think think the very first word in verse 21 is submit. Okay. (laughs) So does that mean... Uh, submit like, okay, I can't speak. I can't do anything without permission. I don't think that's what that means here. I think it is as it is in the very uh, end as, uh, and the wife must respect her husband. I think submit is probably uh, overused here. Like in what is the princess bride? I don't think that word means what you think. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I don't think, I really think that's respect one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. So, so to me, submitting and reverence don't really go together. That's just my interpretation. There is no, uh, Joey international version. So, um, that, could be taken at face value. There you go. Um, so again, in verse 22, he says, uh, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Again, I think submit is, is used uh, incorrectly here or in, I say not used interpreted. Sorry. I think it's interpreted incorrectly here. Uh, So now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I think that's, that's my impression is that uh, submit is, is misinterpreted here. Maybe even um, not, not overused, but maybe uh, mistranslated. I don't know if that's, Hopefully that's not too blasphemous. Uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That verse is goes in about 10 different directions, I think. Uh, again, so submitting, and, and I've, you know, I've heard this, growing up as the church presenting itself, you know, like we've, I know we've all heard um, as radiant as a bride, you know, to her husband. So that's how the church is supposed to be. Again, I I don't think submit is is the correct word here. Um, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, incorrect, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Again, I think it's it's being a member of him as opposed to, yeah, this this is probably going to have to be edited. Um, But I, I just think, I think that's misinterpreted here again. Um, we are obviously members of his body as the church. Uh, verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So to me, it's just, I, th- I think the respect and the submit could be used interchangeably here. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So definitely this is interesting because again, it, we can take it completely out of context and think that this could be talking to um, 
you know, who's, who's, who's really should be uh, this text focused on? I love how it gives a little paragraph here to the women mm-hmm. and look at how much uh, real estate is given to the men right. here. Men, you got to love your wife. Christ loved the church. Men, you know, you got to love your wife just like you love your own body. Remember, you, you love your wife, loves himself. Nobody hates their flesh, men. They nourish it. They cherish it. Look at you. You, mm-hmm. you very much cherish you. But like Christ does the church. So here's the story. You know, you've, you've got this thing that you're going to do. It's a mystery. It's profound. But, but you must love your wife just like you love yourself. You know, the things that I see in here is like, men, you're pretty selfish. Yeah. And you need to understand that your wife needs you to love her not in a way that brings oppression to her. And I don't, you're right. What is something that men actually need? There's actually a pretty good book out there called Love and Respect. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or read that before. I'd have to look up the author's name, but it's very tailored here is that if you're, if you're in prison, okay, let's go back here. If you watch any of those prison shows, what's the one thing in a men's prison that you have to do? Work out. Oh, that too. You're right. You've got to respect, show respect, yeah. give respect. But you don't see a bunch of men in prison saying, as long as you love me, because men cannot care about love, but they care about respect. We are wired differently. Mm-hmm. There's something though about women that they're wired differently and love is important. So it's great that they give a little bit of real estate to the women to submit. And again, I would agree I was trying to look up the Greek word exactly for that and do a little bit more, but I'm sorry, I'm not prepared for that. Sure. But, but we have this conversation that's happening even too, is that um, even saying to your, your, a, a woman to submit to this man. Okay. That's also saying God's created man for something like he did in the garden. And guess what? Let him actually do his job because he's not doing his job of how I created him to stand up to be a voice, to be something, because I'll tell you what, if you're out and I'm here, you know, my wife or myself together, and we're out doing something, she's going to have a different take on it than I am. And I'm willing to just go, look, I'm just going to just back out of this here. I don't want, this is, has no advantage for me. And she's ready to go on and take it out. You know, whatever it is, if, if she's got emotion about it, or not to say that, you know, she's, illogical or out of emotion or something, but she has a different place. And so sometimes I got to tell you that even in a spiritual sense, men will not teach, men will not lead about God, men will not be the spiritual leaders and drivers of their families because they're lazy butts. And they need to get off their butts. And you know what? A wife should say, you should get off your butt. I'm leaving this to you. It's not in this thing, but look, I do respect you. And it goes back to this thing because what men need to hear is that they do the the efforts of things that we're trying. Hey, I respect that. But we clearly men need to know over and over and over again, that our wives need to know that they are loved and we are falling incredibly short on that. Absolutely. So my thoughts there. I, I would like uh, going back to the word submit. I kind of thought about while you were talking, um, and I know it didn't necessarily mean the same thing back then, but you know, if you're into mixed martial arts or any type of martial art or jujitsu or anything like that, submission is completely different. Or to submit means that you give up. Okay, it's basically saying uncle if you know someone's got you right. in a headlock or something. So I know, I know that's a different connotation than what it's used, obviously, in the Bible, but it does kind of make you think that, um, you know, what they're saying to admit, submit to one another. I mean, would I, you know, that's another word of looking at it or another way of looking at it is giving up. I mean, that's obviously not what he's saying here, but it's just kind of showing my opinion of how things can be misinterpreted. In the whole context of this thing, you know, I don't want to get really lost. Paul is talking about something to a specific group of people with a specific problem. 
And I would say the greater problem is that the husbands are not loving the wives. They're loving too much of themselves. I think that makes a wife cranky. I think that makes her maybe over the top. (laughs) When I don't love her, when I don't show that, yeah, very much so. And rightly deserved. And, um, but when we have this love and respect, this is again, very classic some of the best marriage counseling again let's take a look at when this was written most of the time when you see a little bit of conflict that's happening or a lot of bit of conflict in a marriage it's because the wife has no respect for her husband and he has no love for her he's backed off and he's doing everything selfish for himself we know that treating himself well he's not treating her well you put those things in that motor, they, they point to one another. It's secular. So um, that's important to keep in mind. So anybody who needs some uh, marriage counseling, if you're a man, do you love your wife? Wives, are you showing respect at what it is he's doing? Microphone drop. Good choice of words. <laughs> this is great. So I think we, I have no idea how long we've been going. But this is fantastic. We're definitely not there. There are some things that, you know, I think we need to talk about too. And we're probably going to have to go on to another thing. Because I, I would like to also, and you had mentioned this, we're, we're talking about empowering women, but we still have this, this deficit in how men think. Like we use words like, uh, I, I don't even know if we talked about it here, but you know, you, 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 he throws like a girl. We're using that as some sort of derogatory statement, yeah. right? As if girls can't throw well. Where's that come from? Or the whole idea of even that we say boys will be boys. Yeah. I, yeah. That's come I on. That's, I think that's definitely for part two. That's yeah. That's where my hackles really get up. And, so maybe uh, we need to get into that, those cliches and those things, you know, well, if they didn't dress like that or statements, you yeah. know, you put a hamburger in front of me and, and I don't want to go into that, but Oh man, that drive, I'll just yeah. tear that apart. I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll save that for part two. So good, good teaser for next time. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So uh, how do we wrap up today, Joey? And are we, um, are we really helping, you know, these things to break out of the confusion that God has really called women into our churches? You know, if we're looking to Jesus and we're following his teachings and we don't see the fullness of the body of Christ, in our churches, if they're male dominated and, and a woman can't speak in this side of the room, but after 12 o'clock or when the closing prayer, as if God has removed himself, can then give her opinion or her thoughts about a sermon or something on the other side of the door. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, and again, I had someone one time who, uh, it was an elder in a church actually, came to me and he said, well, I respect this woman because she waited till after the service. She approached me in the lobby. And then she told me all of what was wrong with the sermon today of whatever was going on. And I'm like, well, how can you respect that? She didn't get her husband. I knew where he's going, but I was throwing this all back sarcastically. She didn't get her husband. He said, well, church was over. I said, really, was it? What is the church? It's the people. Exactly. Are you telling me because she's on this side of the door now? that that's okay. I mean, where, where, where do we get these boundaries from? Cause even in her words, and she was trying to be, you know, she, she was a subscriber to the, the scriptures and the misuses of what they were. She thought she was doing something well, Mm -hmm. you know, by staying in order. But again, see, that's, that's the oppression that happens. Uh, Too many things. I lastly, uh, I don't even talk about it. I've just, I've hated to see the oppression of women who bring such an incredible gift of this side of God, this, this creative beauty, this womb of God, you know, as in Job, you know, uh, uses those terms that to take that away truly uh, gives us a crippled sense of the body of, of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the arms, the feet, the armpits. And it must be male and female. Well, Paul says there's neither male nor female. So let's get off of ourselves and trying to make classes. There's neither rich or poor, slave or free, Jew or Greek. 
this is the beauty that Jesus set up from the beginning, is that it includes all of us. And if we don't have it, we should be asking some questions. Yeah, I think there, there's, I'm going to use another jujitsu reference. Uh, <laughs> one of the more famous jujitsu uh, practitioners in the country um, said this, and he was talking about the body, uh, you know, of jujitsu over the, you know, when practice or when practicing jujitsu or, or, or working out um, about the legs. And he said, you know, they, and he said, so why ignore 50% of the body? So when we ignore women, that's, that's kind of, I know it's kind of a loose translation, but <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, that's, we're, we're um, ignoring 50% of the church body when, when we do that. And so it just doesn't make sense. I think it really comes from, and I know we're, we're wrapping up, but I really think it comes from when you just boil it down and we're, you know, I've still got the notes like that I want to talk about next time about throwing like a girl and, and things like that. But I think it really just comes down to, to insecurity on, on guys' part that uh, they want to keep, you know, they, they don't feel confident with themselves. And so that's why they want to keep someone in a corner. And anyway, so. Right. Well, we'll continue this later. Uh, we've got some other things coming up. It might be a little bit of time before we get back to this topic, but we will. Uh, it's important and anything we can do to kind of help empower, um, I guess, restore, rightly just bring to the fullness the body of Christ. That's what I hope we can do. Right. And if you've got questions, you know, we want to talk about that. Uh, if you find yourself on the other side and you're saying absolutely not, uh, you think that we have you know, spoken out of context ourselves and such, you know, we want to hear from you. I do go ahead and call me. I'll give you my phone number. You can personally dial me up so that we can have the conversation, but, um, you might not like to fight. So, uh, if you're a woman and you have felt oppression in your church, I'm, I'm terribly sorry for that. There has been a lot of uh, ridiculous and terrible things that have happened in the name of Jesus, but that is not the name of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Uh, God loves you. He created you specifically with incredible abilities that no man would ever have. And uh, to use that to the glory he intended for you from the very beginning. And you've got great things before you, around you, and we just want you to say, stand firm and press forward. You're worth it, and we're fighting for that. Thanks, everybody, for joining us at the Ground Beneath Grace. Again, hope that you have an incredible week until we meet next time. Goodbye. Um, bye, Mom. Love you. Goodbye, Joey's mom. <laughs> Don't you love her? She I love you. There love you go. You. I love Joey's mom. We'll have to meet sometime. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Ground Beneath Grace. We hope to share a universal journey that leads to Jesus, who is the best picture of God we could ever get.